I always struggle with Mother's Day sermons. I feel like I had a really good Mother's Day sermon several years ago, and I, but I can't keep giving it over and over and over again. Well, I guess that I could because many weeks I don't remember my sermon from the week before. So I could probably sneak it past you, uh, but I don't want to. I want to give you something uh, fresh. God is doing something in my heart, and for the next 10 years, I don't want to just prepare and deliver sermons. I I want to speak out of the freshness and and authenticity of what God is doing in my life something that I long for, that song reminded me of that. This week I relied on a liturgical reading schedule for my private time with the Lord and it directed me to Psalm 121, the one that Cassie just read for us. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. There are 15 psalms of ascent in the psalms and no one knows exactly what that means. But what most people speculate is that the songs of ascent are songs that that religious pilgrims would sing as they were making their way to Jerusalem for one of three annual feasts as they were ascending to the city of Jerusalem, which was tucked away high in the mountains. The, 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 The hike to Jerusalem, if you were coming from the north, was somewhat similar to climbing out of the Grand Canyon. Three or 4,000 feet, a steep ascent to the city. Jerusalem sat atop Mount Zion, 17 hard miles from Jericho. And you wouldn't see the city, the whole, whole 17 miles, you couldn't see Jerusalem until you crested the Mount of Olives, which was less than two miles away. So they're making their way up this steep ascent, They're they're singing the psalms, and we don't know exactly what was in their hearts. Part of what was in their hearts was anticipation of arriving at the temple, uh, symbolic of God's very presence and and a very important place in the mind of a Jewish person. It was not merely a destination, but going to the temple in their mind was coming in to the presence of God, and they would have been excited about that. They also may have been fearful. This is the path that is featured in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And and tucked in the hills and the rocks alongside the path, uh, robbers would hide and sometimes pop out and take advantage of people who were far from home. The first verse of this psalm reads, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? When I read that psalm this week, that first line, I thought, this will preach for Mother's Day. What mom hasn't looked at a mountain of dirty clothes or unwashed dishes or toys that need to be put away and cried out, help! Young moms deal with the the challenge of social isolation, uh, the demands of caring for your children to sometimes disconnect you from your support group. They struggle with loss of sleep. Sometimes postpartum hormonal factors uh, cause depression and make it hard to get through those first weeks. 
Young moms struggle with worries about their children's well-being. Young dads may too. Um, but we worry about our children. We, we're so attentive to every little thing that might be a sign that there's something wrong because we love them so much. The sheer amount of physical work wears out moms. It's just hard. There's lots of lifting, lots of going, not many breaks. It can all be overwhelming. <clears throat> and in contrast to times past, a higher percentage are also balancing full-time careers as they attempt to mother young children. Fifty years ago, the percentage of moms working full-time was about 50%. Now it is 72%. Washington Post reported that the United States is the only wealthy country in the world where moms and dads are not guaranteed some paid time off. If you live in Japan, you get 52 weeks off when you have a baby. If you live in Great Britain, you get 39 weeks. And here in the U.S., there are zero weeks guaranteed to young moms. If you were a young mom who is particularly tired, move to Estonia. They provide 140 days of paid leave, 40 to 70 that you can take before your baby arrives. Uh, so being a young mom is hard. The demands upon young moms are great, and like the psalmist, some of you may be asking, where does my help come from? In the second verse, the psalmist answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The word that he uses to identify God is significant. He uses the word Jehovah, the most formal name for God, so holy that once written, it could never be erased. So holy that Jewish people were not allowed to speak it out loud. It consisted only of consonants so as to make it unspeakable. This God is so holy and so powerful. There was one version that they added vowels to that was called Yahweh. But it was so holy that it could only be spoken one time a year when the priest entered the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the nation's sin. That is the God who the psalmist is referring to. In place of this name, the people of Israel would say Adonai or Elohim to avoid speaking God's holiest, most powerful name out loud. Some suggest that what the name means is he who brings into existence whatever exists. It is this God, this all-powerful God, whose name is so holy and so powerful that it cannot be spoken, who comes to the aid of young moms. What are this God's credentials? Always good to check on the credentials of someone. If you're having an, a, a home built or some plumbing done, you can check on Angie's list or something like that. What are this God's credentials? He is the maker of heaven and earth. That is the God who comes to the aid of young moms. This is the God to whom all young moms and all of us cry out to in our most desperate moments. In verse 3, the author shifts from first person to second person. Not only did this all-powerful God come to the psalmist's aid, he will come to your aid. We learn four things in verses 3 and 4. One is that this God will not let your foot slip. 
This God never falls asleep on us. This all-powerful God who made the heavens and earth and looks after young moms doesn't even get dozy. And he makes us part of a supportive community. The second stanza of the psalm reads, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The image of keeping our feet from slipping should be understood in the context of the steep ascent to Jerusalem. They're climbing a steep, rocky, rugged path with loose rocks and loose gravel. A sprained ankle could be life-threatening, and God is there watching us, attending to where we place each foot with every footstep. He's a God that attentive. But what if this God happens to fall asleep or distracted? Not possible. He never sleeps or slumbers. The word sleep means a deep, sound sleep. God up there snoring, not noticing your troubles. The word slumbers means just, you know, it's what I see a lot. It's what I see some of you doing on some Sundays. I think you're nodding with me, but, it, it, but your head jerks up, and I know that's not the case. For the Jewish people of Israel who, who sang the psalm as they were sending, ascending to Jerusalem, it would have evoked a story of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There's an Old Testament story that they immediately would have thought of when the psalmist talks about God not falling asleep. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel of sorts. There was one Elijah, there were 450 prophets. Baal was a horrible, horrible, uh, small g God. A God who was worshipped with child sacrifice and all sorts of wickedness. And Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a, a duel. And he challenges them to make two altars, one for him and one for them. He instructs them to, to prepare two bowls for sacrifice, one to Baal and one to Jehovah. And then as they're getting ready to light the, uh, the sacrifice, he introduces a twist. And he says, oh, wait, wait a minute. Let's not light the fire. Let's pray to our God to light the fire. You go first. So the prophets of Baal start dancing and, and shouting and crying and praying, trying to get Baal to light the altar to consume their sacrifice. They work themselves into a frenzy. And at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. And he taunts them saying this, Hmm, maybe your God has fallen asleep. Maybe he's dozed off. Maybe that's why he's not answering your prayers. Digging even deeper into his well of disrespect for Baal, Elijah uses another euphemism to say, hmm, maybe he's in the john. Maybe he wandered off in the bushes to relieve himself. Maybe that's why he's not answering your prayer. They dance and they shout they start to slash themselves with swords and knives, uh, continuing this frenzy of trying to get Baal 
to light the fire and consume their sacrifice. Finally, it is Elijah's turn. He steps forward, and before he prays in a final affront to the prophets of Baal, he says, wait a minute. There are four large jars here. Why don't you fill them with water and pour them over the altar? Soak the wood. So they do that. And then he says, hmm, why don't you do it again and again? So 12 large jars of water are poured over the sacrifice, and then, and then Elijah begins to pray. And in 1 Kings 18, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the God who keeps our feet from slipping. One who never dozes off or wanders off to the bathroom. A God who is always present and always attentive. That is the God who helps young mothers. He watches over young moms and young dads and babies and old people and single people and addicted people and unemployed people and lonely people and sick people and all-powerful creator God who never dozes off. The psalmist then invokes God's care for all of Israel, reminding us uh, that a life dedicated to God is lived out not alone, but in community. God is not only looking out for me, the psalmist says. He's not only looking out for you. He's looking out for the whole nation. He's looking out for all of us who are worshipers of God. He goes on in verses 5 and 6, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. The moon will not harm you by night. How does one provide shade for a person's right hand? By walking right beside them. This all-powerful God who walks with moms. The sun can't harm us by day nor the moon by night. This was a Hebrew way uh, this was a Hebrew uh, liturgical or um, rhetorical trick where you name opposites to say everything in between. Sun's not going to harm you. Moon's not going to harm you. Nothing is going to harm you is what the psalmist is saying. Reminiscent of Psalm uh, 17.8, which reads, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's a point that I made in my good, my good Mother's Day sermon that I decided not to give again today was all of the motherly characteristics of God that are referred to in the scriptures. And God is, is compared to a mother hen who, who puts his wings around the young chicks to keep them safe. Or Psalm uh, 1618, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And then our psalm, this psalm for young mothers in need, ends with a final stanza, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. I have to be honest with you. <clears throat> that line troubled me this week. 
I, I wrestled with that line because I know that we have moms who worship with us who have experienced great harm. I dug deeper into the, the language to try to understand the word, um, uh, keep us from harm, and I found out that it could just as easily be translated throughout all. I think a better reading of the text would be the Lord will keep you throughout all harm. Even when things go wrong, this all-powerful God will keep you, watch over you. The next line promises that God will watch over your life, and the word for life is actually soul. God will look over and protect your soul, even when you're going through harmful, hurtful, difficult things. This isn't just some kind of spiritual, mystical help. It's real help experienced in time and space. It's right here help. It's right now help. It's forever and ever help. Verse 7 says, the Lord will keep you throughout all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. The psalmist repeats this uh, rhetorical trick of naming kind of opposites. God is with you, young moms, when you're going. He's still with you when you're coming back. And he's always with you, watching over your very souls. He is right now with you. He will be with you forever. So, young moms... Older moms and everyone else, uh, wherever you go, starting now and continuing through all eternity, the great Jehovah, whose name is so holy that it is unspeakable, who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, will be beside you keeping your feet from slipping, guarding you both from and through hard times, protecting your life and soul. Let me say a word of prayer as our praise band comes and uh, begins to prepare us in song to come to the Lord's table together. Father, I come to you this morning so thankful for the moms who are here thankful for the sacrifices they have made, thankful for the love that they have given to us, uh, Lord, we are grateful for them. Father, I also lift up moms to you today. Lord, I, I lift up tired young moms. I lift up moms who are stretched to the limit and exhausted, uh, often feeling like they are not good moms just from the fatigue and tiredness and overwhelming nature of the task before them. Father, I thank you for these moms. And I ask you to empower them. ask you to show favor to them. I, offer, I ask you to give them rest. Uh, give them help. Uh, keep them in the shadow of your wing and guard their souls. Father, I pray for moms today and dads uh, and others who have already have, who've been through harmful times. Been through difficult things. And Father, I pray that you would watch over and protect their very life and their very soul. We pray for your protection, Father. We ask you to spare us 
from going through difficult, difficult things. Uh, we ask for your protection, and we ask for healing who have, in fact, been through those difficult times. Father, we thank you for the way our moms, uh, of, of all the important things they do, we thank you of the ways they remind us of your deep and powerful love. Father, I pray that as we think of the love of our moms, as moms think of how deeply they love their children, I pray that they would be reminded that you love us that much and more. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. How many of you have read anything by A.W. Tozer? I'm sure he wrote a book, a devotional book called My Utmost for the Highest that many people have, have read. And I came across a quotation from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, there's actually a, there's a Catholic church here in town named after this saint. Anticipating coming to the table, he wrote, We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. As we anticipate uh, coming to the table, uh, join us in singing a song that focuses our heart and mind on the holiness of this amazing God. to you, the Lord turn his